0: Yet? We can fix that for you. Although, especially with this episode, you're gonna want to check in later for this ending. There's quite a twist. This episode brings you Oxford's own novelist and short story writer, L.P. Hartley. That's Leslie Poles Hartley, and one of his most intriguing tales. Now Hartley was unafraid to explore infatuation and sexuality at a time when others were not. It served him well, as his notable awards prove, including his 1956 title, Commander of the Order of the British Empire. As an editor and reviewer, Hartley had an extensive aristocratic social life, but successful writing of his own eluded him until age 49, when he published a trilogy of novels that the critics adored. Later works made the New York Times bestseller lists, movies were made, and his works were translated into many languages. Today's tale involves an author and one of his exuberant Fans? Hmm. Tuck in, everybody, and get ready for L.P. Hartley's W.S. The first postcard came from Forfer. I thought you might like a picture of Forfer. It began, You've always been so interested in Scotland, and that's one reason why I am interested in you. I've enjoyed all your books, but mm, do you really get to grips with people? I doubt it. Try to think of this as a handshake from your devoted admirer, W.S. Like other novelists, William Streeter was used to getting communications from strangers Generally, they were friendly, but sometimes they were critical. In either case, he always answered them, for he was conscientious. But answering them took up the time and energy he needed for his writing, so that he was rather relieved that W.S. had given no address. The photograph of Forfer was uninteresting, and eh, he tore it up. His anonymous correspondent's criticism, however, lingered in his mind. Did he really fail to come to grips with his characters? Perhaps he did. He was aware that in most cases they were either projections of his own personality or, in different forms, the antithesis of it. The me and the not-me. Perhaps W.S. had spotted this. Not for the first time, Walter made a vow to be more objective. About ten days later, another postcard. This time from Barrack on tweed What do you think of Barrack on tweed It said. Like you, it's on the border. Oh! I hope uh, this doesn't sound rude. I don't mean that you are a borderline case. You know how much I admire your stories. Some people call them otherworldly. I think you should plump for one world or another. Another warm handshake from W.S. Walter Streeter pondered over this, and began to wonder about the sender. Was his correspondence a, a man or a woman? Well, it looked like a man's handwriting, commercial, unselfconscious, and the criticism was like a man's. On the other hand, it was like a woman to probe. want to make him feel at the same time flattered and unsure of himself. He felt the faint stirrings of curiosity, but soon dismissed them. He was not a man to experiment with acquaintances. Still, it was odd to think of this unknown person speculating about him, sizing him up, Otherworldly indeed. He reread the last two chapters he had written. Perhaps they didn't have their feet firm on the ground. Perhaps he was too ready to escape, as other novelists were nowadays, into an a- ambiguous world, a world where the conscious mind did not have things too much its own way. But did that matter? He threw the picture of Beric on Tweed into his November fire and tried to write. But the words came haltingly, as though contending with an extra strong barrier of self-criticism. And as the days passed, he became uncomfortably aware of self-division as though someone had taken hold of his personality and was pulling it apart. Well, his work was no longer homogeneous. There were two strains in it, unreconciled and opposing. Oh, and it went much slower as he tried to resolve the discord. Oh, never mind, he thought. Well... Perhaps I was getting into a groove. These difficulties may be growing pains. I may have tapped a new source of supply. If only I could correlate the two and make their conflict fruitful, as many artists have. The third postcard showed a picture of York Minster. "'I know you are interested in cathedrals,' it said. "'I'm sure this isn't a sign of megalomania, in your case, "'but smaller churches are sometimes more rewarding. "'I'm seeing a good many churches on my way south. "'Are you busy writing, or are you looking around for new ideas?' Another hearty handshake from your friend, W.S. It was true that Walter Streeter was interested in cathedrals. Lincoln Cathedral had been the subject of one of his youthful fantasies, and he had written about it in a travel book. And it was also true that he admired mere size, and was inclined to undervalue parish churches. But how could W.S. have known that? And was it really a sign of megalomania? And who was W.S. anyhow? For the first time, it struck him that the initials were his own. No, not for the first time. He had noticed it before, but... Well, they were such commonplace initials. They were Gilberts. They were Moms. They were Shakespeare's, a common possession. Anyone might have them. Yet now it it seemed to him an odd coincidence. And the idea came into his mind. Suppose I have been writing postcards to myself. People did such things, especially people with split personalities. Well, not that he was one of them, of course, and yet, and yet, and yet, there was this unexplained development, the dichotomy of his writing which now had extended from his thought to his style, making one paragraph languorous with semicolons and subordinate clauses and another sharp and incisive with main verbs and full stops. He looked at the handwriting again. It seemed the perfection of ordinariness. Anybody's hand, so ordinary, "'as perhaps to be disguised. "'Oh, now he fancied he saw in it "'resemblances to his own. "'He was just going to pitch the postcard in the fire "'when suddenly he decided not to. "'I'll show it to somebody,' he thought. "'His friend said, "'Oh, my dear fellow, it's all quite plain. "'The woman's a lunatic, and I'm sure it's a woman.' She's probably fallen in love with you and wants to make you interested in her. I should pay no attention whatsoever. People in the public eye are always getting letters from lunatics. If they worry you, destroy them without even reading them. That sort of person is often a little psychic, and if she senses that she's getting a rise out of you, ah, oh, she'll go on. For a moment, Walter Streeter, felt reassured. A woman, a little mouse-like creature who had somehow taken a fancy to him. What was there to feel uneasy about that? And then his subconscious mind, searching for something to torment him with, and assuming the authority of logic, said, supposing those postcards are a lunatic's, and You are writing them to yourself. Doesn't it follow that you must be a lunatic, too? He tried to put the thought away from him. He tried to destroy the postcards as he had the others. But something in him wanted to preserve it. It had become a piece of him, he felt, Yielding to an irresistible compulsion, which he dreaded, he found himself putting it behind the clock on the chimney piece. He couldn't see it, but he knew that it was there. He now had to admit to himself that the postcard business had become a leading factor in his life. It had created a new area of thoughts and feelings, and they were most unhelpful. His being was strung up in expectation of the next postcard. Yet, when it came, it took him as the others had, completely by surprise. He could not bring himself to look at the picture. I'm coming nearer, the postcard said. I've got as near as Coventry. Have you ever been sent to Coventry? I have. Well, in fact, you sent me there. It isn't a pleasant experience, I can tell you. Perhaps we shall come to grips, after all. I advised you to come to grips with your characters, didn't I? Well, have I given you any new ideas? If I have, you ought to thank me, for they are what novelists want, I understand. I've been rereading your novels. Living in them, I might say. Chavou, As always. W. S. A wave of panic. Surged up in Walter Streeter. How was it that he had never noticed all this time the most significant fact about the postcards that each one came from a place geographically closer to him than the last? I am coming nearer. Had his mind unconsciously self-protective worn blinkers and if it had oh, he wished he could put them back he took an atlas and idly traced W.S.'s itinerary an interval of 80 miles or so seemed to separate the stopping places Walter lived in a large west country town about about that Distance from Coventry. Well, should he show the postcards to an alienist? That was once a term for psychiatrist. But what could an alienist tell him? He would not know what Walter wanted to know whether he had anything to fear from W.S. Better go to the police. The police were used to dealing with poison pens. If they laughed at him, so much the better. They did not laugh, however. They said they thought the postcards were a hoax and that W.S. would never show up in the flesh. And then they asked if there was anyone who had a grudge against him. Well, mm-hmm that I know of Walter said they too took the view that the writer was probably a woman they told him not to worry but to let them know if further postcards came a little comforted Walter went home the talk with the police had done him good he thought it over it was quite true what he had told them, that he had no enemies. He was not a man of strong personal feelings. Such feelings as he had went into his books. In his books, he had drawn some pretty nasty characters, not of recent years, however, of recent years, He had felt a reluctance to draw a very bad man or woman. He thought it morally irresponsible and artistically unconvincing, too. There was good in everyone. Iago's were a myth. Laterally... But he had to admit that it was several weeks since he had laid pen to paper. So much had this ridiculous business of the postcards weighed upon his mind... If he had to draw a really wicked person, he represented him as a communist or a Nazi, someone who had deliberately put off his human characteristics. But in the past, when he was younger and more inclined to see things as black or white, he had let himself go once or twice. He did not remember his old books very well, but mm, there was a character in one, the outcast, into whom he had really got his knife. He had written about him with extreme vindictiveness, just as if he were a real person whom he was trying to show up. He had experienced a curious pleasure in attributing every kind of wickedness to this man. He never gave him the benefit of the doubt. He never felt a twinge of pity for him. Why, even when he paid the penalty for his misdeeds, on the gallows... He had so worked himself up that the idea of this dark creature creeping about brimful of malevolence had almost frightened him. Odd that he couldn't remember the man's name. He took the book down from the shelf and turned the pages. Even now... They affected him uncomfortably. Oh, yes, here it was. William. William. You would have to look back to find the surname. William Stainsforth. His own initials. He did not think the coincidence meant anything, but uh, it colored his mind and weakened its resistance to his obsession, so uneasy was he that when the next postcard came, it came as a relief. Does this remind you of anything? He read and involuntarily turned the postcard over. Oh, He he saw a picture of a jail. Gloucester Jail. He stared at it as if it could tell him something. And then with an an effort went on reading. I am quite close now. My movements, as you may have guessed, are not quite under my control, but all being well, I look forward to seeing you sometime this weekend and then we can really come to grips. (laughs) I wonder if you'll recognize me. It won't be the first time you've given me hospitality. Ti stringo la mano. As always, W. Walter took the postcard straight to the police station and asked if he could have police protection over the weekend. The officer in charge smiled at him and said he was quite sure it was a hoax, but he would tell someone to keep an eye on the place. You still have no idea who it could be, he asked. Walter shook his head. It was Tuesday. Walter Streeter had plenty of time to think about the weekend at first he felt he would not be able to live through that interval but strange to say his confidence increased instead of waning he set himself to work as though he could work and presently he found he could differently from before And he thought better. It was as though the nervous strain he had been living under had, like an acid, dissolved a layer of non-conductive thought that came between him and his subject. He was nearer to it now. And instead of responding only too readily to his stage directions, why, his character's gave themselves wholeheartedly to all the tests he put them to. So passed the days, and the dawn of Friday seemed like any other day until something jerked him out of his self-induced trance, and suddenly he asked himself, uh, we, When does the weekend begin? A long weekend begins on Friday. Well, at that, his panic returned. He went to the street door and looked out. It was a suburban, unfrequented street of detached Regency houses like his own. They had tall square gateposts, some crowned with semicircular iron brackets, holding lanterns most of these were out of repair. Only two or three were ever lit. A car went slowly down the street. Some people crossed it. Everything was normal. Several times that day, he went to look and saw nothing unusual. And when Saturday came, bringing no postcard, his panic had almost subsided. He nearly rang up the police to tell them not to bother to send anyone after all. But they were as good as their word. They did send someone. Between tea and dinner, the time when weekend guests most commonly arrive, Walter went to the door and there, between two unlit gateposts, he saw a policeman standing the first policeman he'd ever seen in Charlotte Street. At the sight and the relief it brought him, he realized how anxious he had been. Now, he felt safer than he had ever felt in his life, and also a little ashamed at having given extra trouble to a hard-worked body of men. Well, should he go and speak to his unknown guardian, offer him a cup of tea or a drink? (laughs) It would be nice to hear him laugh at Walter's fancies, but... But, no, somehow, he felt his security the greater when its source was impersonal and anonymous. P.C. Smith was somehow less impressive than police protection. Several times from an upper window, he didn't like to open the door and stare. He made sure that his guardian was still there. And once for added proof, he asked his housekeeper to verify the strange phenomenon. Disappointingly, she came back saying that she had seen no policeman. Ah, But she wasn't very good at seeing things, and when Walter went a few minutes later, well, he saw him plain enough. The man must walk about, of course. Perhaps he'd been taking a stroll when Mrs. Kendall looked. It was contrary to his routine to work after dinner, but tonight he did. He felt so much in the vein. Indeed, a sort of exultation possessed him, why the words ran off his pen. It would be foolish to check the creative impulse for the sake of a little extra sleep. On and on. Oh, they were right, who said the small hours were the time to work. When his housekeeper came in to say goodnight, he scarcely raised his eyes. In the warm, snug little room the silence purred around him like a kettle. He did not even hear the doorbell till it had been ringing for some time. Uh, ooh, a visitor at this hour. His knees trembling, he went to the door, scarcely knowing what he expected to find. Oh. "'So what was his relief on opening it "'to see the doorway filled by the tall figure of a policeman?' Ooh. "'Without waiting for the man to speak, "'Come in, come in, my dear fellow,' he exclaimed. "'He held his hand out, but the policeman did not take it. "'Oh, you must have been very cold standing out there. Ah, "'I didn't know that it was snowing, though,' he added, "'seeing the snowflakes on the policeman's cape and helmet.' Oh, come in and warm yourself. Thanks, said the policeman. I don't mind if I do. Walter knew enough of the phrases used by men of the policeman's stamp, not to mistake this for a grudging acceptance. this way, he prattled on. I was writing in my study by Jove. Oh, it is cold. I'll turn the gas on more. Now, Won't you take your traps off and make yourself at home? I can't stay long, the policeman said. I've got a job to do, as you know. Oh, yes, said Walter, and such a silly job. A sinecure, he stopped, wondering if the policeman would know what a sinecure was. I suppose you know what it's about. The the postcards... The policeman nodded. But nothing can happen to me as long as you are here, said Walter. I shall be as safe, as safe as houses. You stay as long as you can and have a drink. I never drink on duty, said the policeman. Still in his cape and helmet, he looked around. "Hm. so this is where you work, he said. Oh, yes, I was writing when you rang. Mm, Some poor devil's for it, I expect, the policeman said. Oh, why? Walter was hurt by his unfriendly tone and noticed how hard his gooseberry eyes were. Well, I'll tell you in a minute, said the policeman. And then the telephone bell rang. Walter excused himself and hurried from the room. Yeah, this is a police station, said a voice. Is that Mr. Streeter? Walter said it was. Well, Mr. Streeter, how is everything over at your place? All right, I hope. And I'll tell you why I ask. I am sorry to say we quite forgot about that little job we were going to do for you. Bad coordination, I'm afraid. But, said Walter, you... Did send someone. Oh, no, I'm afraid we didn't. But there is a policeman here. Here in this very house. There was a pause. And then his interlocutor said, in a less casual voice, He can't be one of our chaps. Did you see his number by any chance? No. After another pause, the voice said, Would you like us to send someone now? Yes. Please. All right, then. We'll be with you in a jiffy. Walter put the receiver back. What now? He asked himself. Should he... Should he barricade the door? Should he run out into the street? Should he try to rouse his housekeeper? Oh, a policeman of any sort was something to be reckoned with, but a, a rogue policeman, a lawkeeper turned lawbreaker, roaming about his house, savaging people? How long would it take the real police to come? What was a jiffy in term of minutes... While he was debating, the door opened, and his guest came in. No room's private when the street doors once passed, he said. Had you forgotten I was a policeman? was, said Walter, edging away from him. Well, you are a policeman. "Mm -hmm. I've been other things as well, the policeman said. Thief, pimp, blackmailer, not to mention murderer. You should know. The policeman, if such he was, seemed to be moving towards him. And Walter suddenly became alive to the importance of small distances. The space between the sideboard and the table and between one chair and another. I, I don't know what you mean, he said. Why do you speak like that? I've, I've never done you any harm. I've never set eyes on you before. Oh, haven't you? The man said. But you've thought about me. And his voice rose. You've written about me. You got some fun out of me, didn't you? (laughs) And now, oh, I'm going to get some fun out of you. You made me just as nasty as you could. Wasn't that doing me harm? You didn't think what it would feel like to be me, did you? You didn't put yourself in my place, did you? You hadn't any pity for me, had you? Well, I'm not going to have any pity for you. But I tell you, cried Walter, clutching the table's edge. I, I don't know you. Oh, and now you don't know me. You did all that to me, and then forgot me. His voice then became a whine, charged with self-pity. You forgot William Stainesfirth. William Stainesfirth, Yes. I was your scapegoat, wasn't I? You unloaded all your self-dislike on me. (laughs) You felt pretty good while you were writing about me. Now is one W.S. to another. What shall I do if I behave in character? I... I don't know, muttered Walter. Oh, you don't know, Stainsforth sneered. You ought to. You fathered me. What would William Stainsforth do if he met his old dad in a quiet place? His kind old dad who made him swing. Walter could only stare at him. You know. You know what he'd do as well as I said Stainsworth, and then his face changed, and he said abruptly, No, you don't, because you never really understood me. I'm not so black as you painted me. He paused, and a flame of hope flickered in Walter's breast. You never gave me a chance, did you? I'm going to give you one. That shows you never understood me, doesn't it? Walter nodded. And there's another thing you've forgotten. What? What is that? I was a kid once, the ex-policeman said. Walter said nothing. You admit that, said William Stainsworth grimly. Well if you can tell me of one virtue you ever created with me, just one kind thought, just one redeeming feature. Yes, said Walter, trembling. Well, then I'll let you off. And if I can't, whispered Walter, well, then, that's just too bad. We'll have to come to grips when you know what that means. You took off one of my arms, but I've still got the other. Stainsworth, the iron arm you called me, Walter began to pant i'll give you I'll give you two minutes to remember. Stainsforth said. They both looked at the clock. At first, the stealthy movement of the hand paralyzed Walter's thought. He stared at William Stainsforth's face, his cruel, crafty face, which seemed to be always in shadow, as if it was something the light could not touch. Desperately, He searched his memory for the one fact that would save him, but his memory clenched like a fist and would give up nothing. "Uh, I must invent something, he thought, and suddenly his mind relaxed, and he saw printed on it like a photograph the last page of the book, and then... With the speed and magic of a dream, each page appeared before him in perfect clarity until the first was reached. And he realized with overwhelming force that what he looked for was not there. In all that evil, there was not one hint. Of good. And he felt compulsively and with a kind of exultation that unless he testified to this, the cause of goodness everywhere would be betrayed. Oh, there's nothing to be said of you, he shouted. Of all your dirty tricks, this is the dirtiest. You want me to whitewash you, do you? Why, the very snowflakes on you are turning black. How dare you ask me for a character? I've given you one already. God forbid that I should ever say a good word for you. Why, I'd rather die. Stainforth. One arm shot out. Then die, he said. The police found Walter Streeter slumped across the dining table. His body was still warm, but he was dead. It was easy to tell. How he died, for not only had his mauled, limp hand been shaken, but his throat, too. He had been strangled. Of his assailant, there was no trace. And how he came to have snowflakes on him remained a mystery, for no snow was reported from any district on the day he died. Good night.